Today we have people spread over two campuses. Just a little numerical praise for you. Last week, uh, the previous week, when we launched our second campus, we grew by 50 people over a span of two weeks. That's pretty cool. So the empty seats we have today uh, made room for 50 more people on both campuses. And uh, so that's pretty cool. So one church, two locations, and we grew by 50 in a span of two weeks. And you say, geez, you guys never talk about numbers. We don't. Uh, but one of the reasons we multiplied the two campuses is because we didn't have room. And, uh, and, and we're not going to be up to our eyeballs in debt with a useless building that we pay utilities on every week so that we can continue to do the Great Commission among our people group and, and the work we're doing in South Rome um, and all the cool things in foster and adoptive care. And so rather than pillage the budget with useless mortgage, we do ministry. And so how cool it is that God has made room and that you have multiplied. Isn't that awesome? So today uh, they're studying through Acts 1, 1 to 11 down there uh, at the Kingston Road campus. We're doing the same thing and how fun. And so uh, that just makes me happy that we're united even though we are not in the same place. And that's just cool. So Acts 1, 1 to 11, uh, we, we, uh, we last year uh, we went away on a retreat and we put together about a three-year uh, set of things we're going to be teaching through. One of those is the book of Acts. And so for the next year plus, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And today we start that. And I've been fired up to get into Acts because it really fits where we are as a fellowship. Um, And you're going to see that as we study through the book. And so it was chosen, we trust, under the leadership of the Lord for the season that we're in now. And so I'm excited to study it with you. Acts 1, 1 to 11. Just so you know, the notes are available online. Um, All these, uh, by the way, in case you don't use the website and uh, iTunes, uh, the sermons are podcasted and they're available online. And you can see the notes online at the blog, missjolly.wordpress.com. So if you're tech savvy, you can log on there and see notes same I have in front of me. So Acts 1, 1 to 11. Uh, Speaking about Acts, just by way of introduction, Kent Hughes says, and there's a quote here, and I footnoted it for you so you could uh, see the resource. If you wanted to go purchase that and use it, it's a phenomenal little, little tool. Kent Hughes said, it's also a book with a splendid theme, tracing the work of the Holy Spirit to the birth, infancy, and adolescence of the church. Its title could well be the acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit working through the church. Acts forms the perfect counterpart and contrast to the Gospels. In the Gospels, the Son of Man offered His life. In Acts, the Son of God offered His power. In the Gospels, we see the original seeds of Christianity. In Acts, we see the continual growth of the church. The Gospels tell us of Christ crucified and risen. Acts speaks of Christ ascended and exalted. The Gospels model the Christian life as lived by the perfect man. Acts models it as lived out by imperfect men. End quote. In Acts, we are going to see life lived as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit intended life to be lived. On mission, doing our jobs, and all domains of society, supernaturally empowered, adventurous. Yes, life is not to be dull or boring. Read Acts. There's nothing dull or boring about the ordinary lives of followers of Jesus. Never dull, never boring, always adventurous, and on point in spite of goof-ups. 
as long as they're on mission. One of the great graces you'll see in Acts is in spite of their mess ups, the mission is on point because they're on mission. One of the great truths we have of the gospel is we don't have to be always on. As long as we're on mission, Jesus makes up for all goof-ups. Because that's just kind of what He does. I wrote down here and I underlined it if you're looking along in the notes that I would recommend you read The Insanity of God as we stay through the book of Acts. Now, if you remember several years ago, I encourage you to go get that book. It's cheap in Kindle. It's cheap in ebook format. And it's even cheap in hard print, a paperback book written by an IMB missionary about his work in Mogadishu, Somalia, and in his work post-Mogadishu. We're talking Black Hawk Down times. All over studying the church, the church persecuted, because one of the things you're going to discover as you read this book is that the supernatural work of the kingdom lived out globally is very much in sync with what we read in the book of Acts. And then you'll come back and, and do stuff here in the West and it goes, what's wrong with us? And that's the question we should be asking. And then what's right with them? Because they live like Acts, and often we don't. And we read it and see the disconnect and wonder, geez, what's wrong? So I want to encourage you to go get the book, Insanity of God. And I want, you, I want you to read it as a companion as we study through Acts. Because that way, the abnormal, listen to this carefully, the abnormal lives we live in the West, this is not normal. Okay? This is not normal. The abnormal lives we live in the West won't color our understanding of how our lives are supposed to be lived. The worst thing you can do is compare your boring life to other people's boring lives in the West and think that's the way it's supposed to be. Compare your life to the followers of Jesus Christ in Acts and go, I want that. Because that's how... It's supposed to be lived. You know what I would argue? I would argue if the Holy Spirit were removed from us, we could still plant churches, we could still do church, and still do service work. In our own power, in our own strength, and we would get good things done. We just wouldn't get it done effectively. So much of ministry in the West is done by willpower, not spirit power. And that's a dangerous place to be. If Holy Spirit were removed, would we know the difference? If Holy Spirit were quenched, would we recognize His subdued power? It's the Acts is how it's supposed to be. And it is for many Christians in the world. Not so much for us in general in the West. Here's the solution. You ready? If we would align all of life if we would align all of life, here, all of life, not just compartmentalized church life, because we're real good about compartmentalizing life. Church life, school life, family life, home life, friend life, married life, with no interaction between. If we aligned all of life with Jesus' mission, doing the job description that He gave us here, according to the scope and sequence He gave us, 
and by the power He provided, I would argue our lives would look more like Acts than they do now. So here's our big idea for the day. And we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking it in four observations. We are to be His witnesses in every way, just like Acts depicts it. We are to be His witnesses in every way, just like Acts depicts it. Let me make you a promise as we study through Acts. I will not tame it down to make us comfortable. We are going to deal with it as it's written. One of the great magic tricks Christians in the West do with their Bible is they read it, wave their little magic worldview wand over it, and make it say something it doesn't say in order to soothe our person-centered, man-centered, idolatrous God we've created in our image. And I'm not going to do that in Acts. We're going to let it speak. And we want to come in line with it. Because I promise you, brothers and sisters, as I've had the privilege of working globally in some really cool places and tasted life like this, I want this more than I've ever wanted it. Those moments when I'm there and have it, I don't want to leave. People say, why do you like working over there? It's because life is like this. And I come back here and it almost kills me. (laughs) I'd rather die there with a bullet on mission, full of power and joy, than here by stress and false expectations heaped on me by a worldview that is wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know the things I notice about believers on the front lines of the kingdom of God is they typically don't die by stress. And then we wonder, how could they go over there and lay down their lives for the gospel? And they look at us and go, how can you live life miserable like that? How can you die by hypertension? That's dumb. And I promise you, it is better to die for the sake of the gospel than to live here under the crazy, false expectations we place on ourselves Dictated by a world system that's broken, right? And so, here, I believe with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, is we can live here like that over there, here. We can do life like they do it there, here. But it requires us to align ourselves with Jesus' mission, doing His job description, and His scope, His sequence, and in His power. And if we do so, I would argue life in the church will begin to look a lot more like Acts and a lot less like it looks now. So we're going to ask these questions as we study the book of Acts. What do we see? What are our observations from the text? What does it mean? And what do we do with it? Observation, interpretation, application. What do we see? What does it mean? What do we do with it? Observation number one from Acts 1, 1 to 11, found in verse 1 to 3. Observation number one, you ready? Luke wrote to Theophilus about life, ministry, suffering, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus, as well as his subsequent 40-day ministry post-resurrection. Luke wrote this, and we studied, remember we... Through Lent, we studied through passages in Luke, and we came back to understanding Luke's purpose and what he was doing. Luke recaptures that for us here. Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day it was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke tells us that Jesus met with his disciples and taught them over a 40-day period of time. 
What's beautiful here is no doubt Jesus' instruction from the Old Testament was the backbone of everything they learned. We look back to Luke 24 like we looked at last week. Jesus started with Moses and all the prophets and He preached to them about Himself. So during this 40-day post-resurrection ministry, Jesus is walking them through the Bible, teaching them about Himself and teaching about the kingdom of God. So what are we to do with this? Well, we are to be experts with the Scriptures so that our preaching can be saturated with the Scriptures as the writers of the New Testament's writings saturated with the Scriptures. One of the things you notice as you study the Gospels is that they go to great lengths. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus for 40 days is teaching them from the Bible about Himself. Okay? That's still mind-blowing. So Jesus is working through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Kings, Chronicles, Samuel, Ruth, Esther, right? He's going through the Scriptures, the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. And he's preaching from the text about the Gospel and the Kingdom of God. And so when you read the New Testament, these cats are writing, and this is why, you, this is why when you study your little Bible, somebody's done the work for you already. You look in like the middle or the side or the bottom, and they have these little letters, right? And the little letters, if you look them up in here, like give you Old Testament passages, and what you're supposed to do is go back to that Old Testament passage and go, gee, that sounds like here what they said over there. And you know what you're supposed to realize? Everything they're saying is built on the backbone of what Jesus already said to them in the Old Testament. And so over this 40-day period, Jesus is teaching them. And as they come and preach the Gospel, what's the content of their message? Are they making stuff up? No. They're, they're, they're talking the text. So what do we do with that? We should need to listen, dear followers of Jesus. Don't feel this as a guilt trip and... and Unless you need to, and the Lord is giving it to you as a precious... Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict convict concerning righteousness and judgment and sin and all those good things. And so, if He's speaking to you, by all means, receive it. But we need to be experts with the text so that our preaching of the Gospel can carry the same weight and authority as Paul's did. Do you really believe that your private, personal, corporate ministry should have as much empowerment as Paul's? Yeah, it is. Listen, Paul is not to be unique. He's not. Look at Paul. I'm like, gee, Paul! You! We'll see this in just a minute. Jesus told us that your ministry would be better than His because He was sending you the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who would empower you to do what He did and even greater so. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus. Wow. So as they preach the text, we're going to see in a couple of weeks in Acts 2, Jesus saves a couple thousand people. Boom, just like that. Why? Because the moron Peter who denied him a few days earlier is now preaching in the power of the Counselor and Jesus is drawing people to Himself. You can be like, listen, don't hear this like in a weird way, like a weird TV preacher way, because those guys are bad. But I mean, I mean, I mean in, in, in a Bible way, you can and should be living life like Peter. That's not to be abnormal. 
I can show you, and I'm probably going to whip out a video. I show church planners of a hero of mine. You never, ever heard his name. And when we go to places like I'll be in April teaching at a church planner conference in Orlando, these cats come and we bring them because we want to expose American church planners who think their job is to be a six-figure income guy and have all kinds of success. We want to show them what success looks like in the kingdom. We bring guys like Dion Robert in from Africa who have very little income and are poor even by global standards. But pastor churches of 300,000 people with no buildings and no budget and severe persecution. I want to show them what kingdom success looks like. Dion is no special person. He just walks in the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit with no strategy that smells like corporate USA and Jesus blesses. And Dion's not Peter. Peter wishes he could be Dion. Now, that's not in the Bible. I'm making that up. So don't take that and go, he's crazy. It's not, no. My point is, acts should not be abnormal. That should be the normalcy. And listen, it's not because you're slick with your presentation. It's just we're experts in the manual. We take the text and we hold it out because these are the words of life. And Jesus has ways of doing stuff with that that you can never imagine. Observation number two, what do we see? We see in verse three, observation number two, Jesus spoke to his disciples during his 40-day post-resurrection ministry about the kingdom of God. You've been around here long enough. We talked a lot. We, you hear the word kingdom of God, the phrase kingdom of God, and the word kingdom a lot around here is because it's, it's everything. Jesus preached the kingdom. Go and read the Gospels. Jesus preached the kingdom. We don't have time to unpack that. That's all on the interwebs. You can go listen to it. Um, kingdom. Notice verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. I even in my, my Bible, I underlined by many proofs of which... The gospel writers don't give us all of them. John actually says if everything Jesus said and did were to be written down, the books of the world couldn't contain them, right? So by many proofs, and he doesn't tell us what all they are, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So Jesus is preaching about the kingdom from the text of the Old Testament. But I want you to notice in verse 6, though, that they're still confused They're still confused about Israel's role in the kingdom and missing the fact that the kingdom is made up from people of all nations. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, and remember, Jesus has been appearing over 40 days, preaching from the Bible, right? And he's showing them amazing things. And they come to verse 6, and when they come together, they ask him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I'm being goofy because that's kind of how that probably sounded. He's preaching about the kingdom. He's taking Genesis 12, I'm assuming, because it's the foundation, the Abrahamic covenant, it's the foundation of the Great Commission. He gave it to Abraham. The, the Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, revealed Himself to Abraham, showed Him His purpose in Genesis 12, 1-3. And I've got to assume Jesus unpacked that for them. I mean, you're going to see it later in Galatians when Paul talks about the gospel. And he quotes Genesis 12, 1 to 3. So I'm assuming Jesus is covering the Abrahamic covenant. Kind of important. And they hear it, but they don't get it. Because they come and say, hey, are you going to give us our kingdom back? 
they're still confused about the kingdom. So he spoke to them about the kingdom. They're still confused about the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, number one, Jesus intends for us to understand the kingdom. He intends for us to understand what he's doing in this global scope and sequence. Jesus simply isn't saving sinners. He's saving sinners and rescuing all of creation from the curse. Genesis 12, 1 to 26, 28, right? The creation mandate before the fall. God's intention is that the whole creation be subdued and brought under the dominion of image bearers. The curse happens, the fall, and everything's broken, right? Jesus doesn't abandon His created order. He's going to make it new, right? Revelation 21, 22, right? New heavens, new earth. Isaiah, right? He prophesies looking forward to all things being made right. Jesus is saving sinners and He's restoring all things. So He doesn't just preach sinners be saved. He preaches sinners be saved and restore all things to my rule. Ephesians 1, 7-10, right? All things being brought back under the dominion of Jesus. Jesus intends for us to understand the kingdom and His rule. I gave you like three different quotes about the kingdom. I'll give you Tim Keller's. The kingdom is the renewal of... Of the whole world, sinners and all domains of society alike, through the entrance of supernatural forces, as things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. Think lying the witch in the wardrobe. Think when the curse is broken and things begin to thaw. That's what Jesus is doing in real time, in real life, right now, globally. And Jesus is preaching about that. The good news of the kingdom makes salvation possible for all who will believe and gives those who believe a mission, listen carefully to this, to subvert the work of Satan through making disciples and engaging the domain of society in all nations and establishing the church as the outpost of the community of the kingdom by the Spirit's power as we wait for Jesus to return, complete the kingdom's establishment, and completely bring Satan's work to an end. Jesus intends for us to understand that and live that. By the way, that's, that's what you're called to be doing in your domain. is bringing under the rule of Christ and subverting Satan's dark forces, engaging all domains, making disciples. He intends for us to understand that. Well, what does it mean? Second thing, we're sometimes hard of hearing and hard of learning sometimes, as they were. Kingdom, guys. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Hey, you're going to restore it to Israel? And I can imagine Jesus doing the... He probably didn't. He's a lot more patient, I'm sure, than we are. They're hard of hearing, hard of learning. It's often very easy to slip into bad habits that are just natural to us. It was natural for them to try to isolate themselves from the rest of the world. Jesus, go read the Old Testament. The goal, Abrahamic covenant... Genesis 12, 1 to 3, all the families of the earth blessed with the knowledge of who God is. What did they do? Isolate, isolate, isolate. It's easy to slip into bad habits. Mission, disciple the nations. What do we want to do? Isolate, isolate, isolate. Safety, safety, safety. All right, all about us. More children, more youth, more young adults, more ministry for us, more Bible studies for me, more things for me, more things for me, more things for me. And we slip into bad habits that are natural to us. We hear what we want to hear sometimes. Isn't that right? 
But we have to live outside of natural things in the supernatural work of the kingdom. And we have to discipline ourselves to really hear. Notice Jesus doesn't answer their question. Because what they're going to learn soon in the book of Acts is the kingdom is far bigger than Israel. Because it includes Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, yes, even those half-bred Samaritans, and then those god-awful Gentiles to the ends of the earth. So here's what Jesus does. He doesn't answer their question. He shows them what the kingdom looks like when He sends the Spirit and scatters them and they go preach the gospel to people they otherwise would not have interacted with. So He doesn't answer their question. He's going to show them that the kingdom is being restored to the Samaritans too and to the Gentiles and even to the seat of the Roman Empire. So what are we to do with that? Well, number one, we're to pursue the rule of Jesus over every domain of society. You've been at Three Rivers long enough, you've heard this. Your job is not to leave your job and enter pastoral ministry unless that is in addition to your job. Or it is very clear, 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 is applying to you if anyone aspires to the office of overseer desires noble tasks. And if you just really, really want to put a target on your chest and be the first to go into the battle, be the first to die as a leader of the people of God, then by all means, come on. Characters in place, do it. But by all means, don't lose and leave your domain to become a professional in ministry and isolate yourself from the mission God's given you. Pursue the rule of Jesus over every domain of society. That is the... I'll be doing a talk on that at the missions conference at Snowbird, April 22 to 24, and engaging domains and how it changes the paradigm of the global scope of the gospel. Don't have time to do that now. That's an hour-long talk. But we're to pursue the rule of Jesus over every domain of society. In other words, your job has an important function. And your job isn't to leave it, but to subdue it and bring it under the rule of Christ. And make disciples in it. What do we do? Number two, we're to strive to be learners who hear and obey. We strive to be learners who hear and obey. Observation number three, what do we see? Verse four to five. Jesus instructed His disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He had said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus ordered them to wait till they were empowered. This isn't in the notes, but I had this thought come to me several times this morning, and I want to share it with you. So often it's easy to rush to action rather than waiting on the Lord. I challenge you to read the Psalms and notice how many times the Lord inspires the writer to say, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, like everybody's favorite memory verse, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Not those who run headlong. Not those who foolishly jump in. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Why? Because when we wait on the Lord, He empowers. This is why we do His mission and His scope and His sequence by His power. And this is what empowers global ministry. This is one of the reasons we do All Saints Day and we introduce you to dead saints who live life like this so that you have a framework historically you can look back to and go, geez, they're just a normal person and they lived like this and God did that work so that you can see, I can, yeah, I should live life like that too. 
wait on the Lord. Jesus instructed them to stay in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? What does this mean? Number one, Acts 2 is about to show us a most important transition from the old covenant work of the Spirit to the new covenant work of the Spirit. This transition between covenants and covenant experiences explains the instances in Acts 2 and in Acts 8 and in Acts 19 where believers received an Acts 2-like Pentecost. These disciples from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth all witnessed the transition from the old covenant work of the Spirit to the new covenant work of the Spirit. Now this is in the notes. It's highlighted it is italicized, bolded, and underlined. Because I want you to see, and it even says NOTE in all caps. So I want you to note it. You understand? Right? It's like, I think he wants me to read that. You're right. This witness to the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant work of the Spirit is witnessed to by the people in the scope and sequence stated by the Lord in verse 8. Perhaps this was to build their confidence in the Lord's intention to expand His kingdom beyond Israel, as they asked in verse 6. So what happens is, you see in those particular passages an Acts 2-like Pentecost event to witness to these Jewish men who still thought it was all about Israel, that the kingdom has now gone from Israel to all places and all peoples and is to be lived out among all people. In the Old Covenant work of the Spirit, the Spirit would not remain with Jesus' followers. In the New Covenant work of the Spirit, the Spirit would not only remain, but constantly empower, remind, teach, and gift Jesus' followers as Spirit takes up residence in them as the new temple and people of God. Listen carefully. Baptism in the Spirit is not a second work that happens post-conversion. This is where we differ with some Pentecostal people and Pentecostal denominations. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail here. We're going to do this Wednesday night at TRCU. So if you want to go into great detail about this phrase and how it's used, show up Wednesday night at 6 o'clock downstairs, room 110. Okay? It's usually about six or eight of us. So if you really want to dive deep into this, come Wednesday night. It'll be fun. We have a good time, right? Six or eight who are here? Awesome. We have a good time. Baptism is not a second work. Baptism of the Spirit is not a second thing that happens post-conversion. It's the primary work of grace known as being born again, where new spiritual life is imparted to dead sinners and they're placed in the family of God as sons and daughters. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is key to that. We'll unpack that a little more Wednesday night. Subsequent work in the life of the Christian where they're gifted, empowered, and so on, is what the New Testament calls filling with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does subsequent empowering work, but it doesn't use the language of baptism in the Spirit. It is using the language of filling with the Spirit. And it's real. It's not less. And should be experienced by everyone on mission with Jesus. Certain groups have taken biblical language and hijacked the idea to create an elite class of Christians who, due to their seeking it and their particular holiness, get a greater portion in the Spirit than some of us other fools. Nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is we are witnessing a transition between the Old Covenant work of the Spirit and the New Covenant work of the Spirit. But notice, interpretation, what does it mean? Number two, 
Disciples of Jesus now have full time, full power access to the Holy Spirit and thus power to do the mission and our specific job in the mission. Wait. And when I empower you, you will be my witnesses. And we'll unpack that in just a second. Observation, or I'm sorry, number three, what does it mean? Receiving the indwelling, baptizing, placing in the family of God, Holy Spirit, is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. In other words, when you are empowered as a Christian, when you get saved, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But notice this, receiving the indwelling fullness and power of the Spirit is a matter of walking in obedience, sustained holiness, and in repentance. You get placed in the family of God. You get saved by grace alone through faith alone. Hear that? Don't walk away misunderstanding that. You get the Holy Spirit who places you in the family of God by grace alone through faith alone. But walking in the empowerment of the Spirit is one of sustained obedience on mission, being holy and walking in repentance. This is why 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells Christians that living in the fullness of the Spirit is a matter of not quenching the Spirit. You know what that means? As a follower of Jesus, you can quench Holy Spirit's work. You know what quench means? What do we say when we're thirsty? You drink something, you quench your thirst, right? Quench is to wet, put wetness on something that is on fire. The Bible tells us not to quench the Spirit, meaning we can quench the Spirit. You understand? So, therefore, if we can quench the Spirit, how do we avoid doing that? By walking on mission, being holy, walking in repentance. Ephesians 4.30 tells us not to grieve the Spirit, meaning you can grieve, make sad, Holy Spirit. You get saved and placed in the body, baptized in the Spirit, born again by grace alone, through faith alone. Walking in the supernatural empowerment of the Spirit is a matter of sustained obedience on mission, being holy, and walking in repentance. Listen to this. We can't expect a Spirit-filled supernatural life if we're living on our mission, asking Jesus to bless my mission, loving sin more than righteousness, and thinking I'm above humble repentance. Make sense? I think so much of what happens in the West is that. We are taught to go succeed and plow our way and do our thing and ask Jesus to bless it. How many of us get up and say, Jesus, what do you want done? What does your word tell me to do? I will walk in obedience today. You understand the difference? Our culture says, go make your own way. Do your own thing. Figure it out. The Lord says, wait on me. Jesus said, disciple the nations. And we think, well, later maybe. I kind of need to establish myself now. And then later when I've got enough money, then I'll go, then I'll go do those things, right? No. We can't expect acts like living if we're doing our thing in our way in our time. But if we do Jesus' thing in Jesus' way in Jesus' time, we can expect acts kind of living. Because Jesus said, wait. And the promise of the Father will be sent upon you and you will be empowered. What do we do with that? Well, let's look to observation number four to answer that question. Observation number four, what do we see? Verse eight, Jesus gives us our job description, the scope and sequence of the job, and the power to do the job. Listen to verse eight. But you will receive what? Power. This is a fun word. It's the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. You will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want you to, like, if, if you do, like, like me, I love to do Muslim evangelism. When I'm spending time with my Muslim friends here in town, and particularly my imam friend, I don't use this Bible because I write in this one. And they, don't, they think that's bad news. So I use one I haven't written in. But chances are, it's, you're okay with what you got. If you've got a pencil or pen, I want you to underline the little word and in that verse because it's super, super important. What do we see here? Because, you know, what are we supposed to do? Well, I said, look at observation number four. What do we do now that we're empowered? Well, here's what we're supposed to do. Jesus gives us our job description. So in other words, everybody in this room right now, this is your job description. You ready? It's your job description. And He tells you the scope and sequence. He tells you how wide your work is supposed to be and in what order it's supposed to take place. And He's going to tell you the power in which to do it. Acts 1.8 is the purpose. It's the theme and the framework of the entire book of Acts. This is the centerpiece. You want to read the book of Acts through the right lens? Go back to verse 8 in chapter 1. Read that framework and read the rest of the book and it will begin to play out and make sense. Because how is it going to work? Just like this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. That's how it works. Well, what does all this mean? Number one, we have a mission. Jesus told us what the mission was. Anybody know it? Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Disciple the nations, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's the mission. But notice there is a certainty. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Notice Jesus didn't say, you might be my witnesses. This might work out for your benefit. This could be okay. No, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. If we obey the mission, guess what you will be? You will be a witness. You know what this word means? You know what this word is? It's the word martyr. Now, don't mishear that. The word martyr doesn't mean one who dies for the faith. It means one who witnesses to. Everybody in this room is to be a martyr. A witness to the resurrected living Christ. Again, don't miss here. He said we're all supposed to die. I heard him. No, then you heard what you wanted to hear. The word witness is the word martyr. Martyr is a Greek word. It means to bear witness to. Jesus said it is a certainty that if you are on my mission of discipling the nations, you will be my witness. You will bear witness to the reality that I am alive. Listen, your job and everything you do is to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. The resurrected Christ at work in you, through you, repairing domains of society, making disciples. Jesus said, if you're on my mission, you will be my witness. Listen, guys, this is a great certainty. If you've been saved by the resurrected Christ, you can't help but witness to the resurrected Christ because He is working in and through you, spreading life and the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. It is a reality of those who walk with Jesus. If there's no outflow of the gospel in your life, listen, hear this with the right ears. You need to check whether or not you are in faith and you're in the faith and you're walking with Jesus. Paul tells us in Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. If Jesus has raised you to life, you will be His witness. Can't help it. Unless you quench the Spirit. Or grieve the Spirit. 
You ever been in those moments where it was so clear the Lord wanted you to speak? And for whatever fearful reason, you obeyed the evil one and the lies in your own mind and didn't obey? That's quenching the Spirit. Maybe if you obeyed, you would have tasted the supernatural work of the Lord converting someone's heart or putting words in your mouth you didn't know were there and you spoke them and Jesus did a supernatural work and your faith would increase. They would come into the kingdom and all things would be glorious. Right? He says, you will be my witnesses. There's a certainty to it. You have a mission, disciple the nations. The certainty, you'll be my witnesses. Third, in the mission, you have a job description. You will be my witnesses. That's your job. Listen, whatever you do, whatever domain of society you fill, bear witness to the resurrected Christ. And everything you do, it has to be something you say, and it is also the way you live. Be witnesses in your domain. Fourth, the job description has a scope and a sequence. We call this glocal, G-L-O-C-A-L. Scope. Notice this is why I had you underline and. Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. Is that what it says? Often that's the church's strategy though, isn't it? Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? Because, you know, we don't have enough money because, you know, we spend too much money in youth ministry because we can't do great commission because, you know, we're building up the youths, right? But we got a new building, man. We can't, we can't give no more money to, you know... The Great Commission, because we got a building, and we got a lot of people coming in our building, right? Is that, is that what it said? When we, when we pay that off, then we, you know, we'll get that done, right? Is that what that says? No. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and of the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, the global scope of the gospel is simultaneous, not sequential. And you're going to see this played out in Acts, because in Acts 2 there are people gathered, and God's so strategic. He has gathered in Jerusalem people from all over the known world at Pentecost, and they hear the gospel preached, and they believe, and then they go home, and that's when we get to Acts 19, there's a church already planted, and the apostles hadn't been there yet. How'd that happen? Jesus made it happen. Because when He bore witness to Himself in sending the Spirit, the new covenant work of the Holy Spirit, He converted thousands of people from all over the world and sent them home. Simultaneous. Here, there, now. That's how God works. You know what's beautiful about that? When we live locally and we think simultaneous here and there, Three Rivers base is wider than you can ever imagine. This is why I tell you, to encourage you, you are known globally. Nobody in Rome knows you. They know you a little better now, but nobody in Rome knows who you are. I promise people in our country and in other countries know you by name. You've been written about. Nobody still reads the book because it's, it's one of those that might have to do something, but they read it. But you've been written about by name in major publications. Why? Because you are here and you have a footprint there at the same time. There are people walking into the faith in our country and our people group because of you. Our people are there translating the Scriptures into their language. You know him by name. I can't say it because this is on the interwebs. Right? And so right now, in this moment, disciples are being made here and there. And check this out. As people come into faith here, they go back into their homes and make disciples. As they come into the faith there, they go back in their communities and make disciples. And that is happening simultaneously right now. Praise be to Jesus. 
But if we think Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth, we'll never get that. Never get that. The job description. Witnesses. Where? Everywhere at the same time. This is one of the great things that God gives us in college students who come to our church. It's an understated ministry. But those students who stick with us for a period of time, we ruin them. They write back, they come back, they visit and say, I have trouble fitting in anywhere because you ruined us. It's got to be like this. I'm like, yes, exactly. Now go plant that. Or move to a country and work in your domain and do that. That's why we have some of our graduated college students working in other countries, working with our people at a job they're getting paid to do and we don't have to fund them because they're working in their domain. They're being paid by people on the ground to do their job while they're making disciples. Paradigm shift. Right? Why? Because it's here and there at the same time. And Jesus said, go do that. I promise you, if the church obeyed Jesus' commands, we would live life like Acts. And you know, Three Rivers, that's happening. Some of the coolest things in Roman Floyd County is happening because of you. You're going to see some of the coolest stuff ever in the history of the church in Floyd County because of you. The city don't give us elementary schools because we are slick. The city gives us elementary schools because Jesus said, give them the school. And they did. Right? That's, by the way, Acts level type stuff. Jeff's got stories. I cannot wait for you to hear some of this cool stuff. Mary Margaret's got stories. God at work. Timing. That's Acts level type stuff. And three of us are living it. How cool is that, right? Fifth observation here. The mission, job, scope, and sequence have power. You will receive power. John fourteen twelve. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you. This is Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe what the Bible says? Everybody in here believes the Bible, right? Yes. Here we go. We particularly believe the parts that are in red, right? Sometimes we struggle with the parts in black. I don't know about that, Paul. Uh, but at least when Jesus said it and we're aware, we're pretty confident, right? Let's be honest. We believe it all, but we struggle sometimes if it's not in red. That's liberal denominations. We're not liberal. We're theologically conservative. Way right. They'd call us fundies. John fourteen twelve. This is Jesus, so we can't wiggle our way out of it. Ready? Can't wiggle our way out of this one. Truly, truly. He even prefaces it by saying, true, true. Not just this is true, but this is true, true. It's double true. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, so who? Whoever does what? Believes in me will also do the works that I do. Really? This is why Peter and John raised dead people. And we're not going to wiggle our way out of that one. We're not going to make some argument up that says, well, Jesus doesn't raise dead people anymore. No. That's why Peter and John raised dead people. That's why Paul raised dead people. That's why they say, I ain't got silver and gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and they do. Because there's power. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What did Jesus do? He made the lame walk, made the dead rise, made the blind see. 
Now, that's not the end of the sentence. (laughs) Jesus didn't stop there. He took it a step further. And greater works than these will He do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus said, you will do greater works than I have done because I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? Jesus is going to go on and teach us. He's going to send the Spirit who will infill us, place in the family, empower us, counsel us, teach us, convict us. And we would have the new covenant work of the Spirit constantly present. And that's what Peter's going to preach on in Acts 2 from the book of Joel. The mission, the job, the scope, and the sequence have power. Power accessible to Jesus, now accessible to you. Do you feel that, church? Do you really feel that? I believe if we believe that, we would do and attempt great things for the kingdom because we recognize it's not up to me to pull it off. It's my job to obey Jesus. Get on Jesus' mission. Do His job description in His scope, in His sequence, and by His power, supernatural things happen. They just do. Because that's how Jesus works. You know what that requires? What do we do? Well, number one, we're to be living with lives shaped by the mission. We have to shape our life to the mission. This is a great challenge, y'all. I live in the same world you live in. And I breathe the same air you breathe. And that air, that culture wants to tame us. It wants us to obey it. It is fraught with subtle messages and hints. And it is easy to fall under its spell. Silver chair, may read it. You know, I'm a Narnia guy. Who's read silver chair? Raise your hand and show yourself. Praise the Lord. Awesome disciples of Jesus. Rest y'all repent. Go read the books. They're children's books. It's okay. They're easy to read. Remember? When they were under the ground, and those of you who don't know, go read the book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tempt you. Go read it. It's beautiful. I just read Silver Chair again. Makes makes me get goosebumps. They were under, underneath, and they'd found Rillian. And the witch threw the powder on the fire, and it filled the room, and they all began to get groggy and began to repeat after her and the lies. You've never seen the sun. Yeah, we've never seen the sun. There is no sun. There's no There's no overworld. There's no overworld. And they begin to fall under the spell cast by the witch. And before you know it, they are almost fully asleep and in her power. And in the moment of clarity, Puddle Glum, my favorite. I love Puddle Glum. He goes over the fire with his webbed feet and he stomps out the fire and he has a moment of clarity. The pain created by the burns causes him to start thinking clearly. And he calls her out for the lie and really and grabs his sword and cuts her head off. And the spell is broken. And everybody under her spell wakes up and realizes what the truth is. And they start marching where? To overland where the sun really is. Our world lies to us and it spreads the lie of the curse. And it preaches subtleties to us all the time. And it's easy to believe those lies and start acting on them. Dear Christian, I want to call you to the book of Acts and say we're to be living lives like this. Let this be puddle glum stomping on the fire. Let this be the pain created that causes your thinking to get sharp and causes you to tune in and think, no, there is a better way, Jesus' way. We're to be living lives shaped by the mission. The mission of discipling the nations needs and must shape every decision we make.
You don't go to college with the goal of having a career. If you need to go to college, you go to college in order to help you disciple the nations better in your domain. You, you don't take a job just to have a job. You take a job to make disciples in your domain. You, you don't merely marry somebody just so you can be married. You marry in order to together subdue the whole world under the rule of Jesus and discipling the nations. That's the point of all marriage. Does that make sense? What we do in the lie is we do the task for the sake of the task, not realizing there is a purpose beyond the task, and that is to disciple the nations. Does it make sense? So shape everything under the mission. And if it doesn't help you do the mission, cut it off. Make sense? It's called mission-centric living. We're to be living lives shaped. And what we see in the book of Acts is a bunch of people sold out to the mission of Jesus. So much so they sell their property and come and bring the proceeds so that the poor inside the fellowship can have something they themselves have. That's different, y'all. That challenges our thinking a little bit, doesn't it? That's mission-centric living. Because people without anything can't obey Jesus and following Him to the nations. So what do they do? Sell their property and come give it to them so they can obey Jesus and go to the nations. Why? Because they're shaped by the mission. Number two, we're to be witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Yes, we are. Number three, we're to be empowered witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Fifth, final observation. What do we see? Verse 9 through 11, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And when He said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up. And a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Who are these cats? These are angels. May have been the same ones at the tomb. Don't know. Just two cats in white robes. And they said, they had a message, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? It's a rhetorical question. They knew the answer. Often, God never asks questions that really need you to answer them. They're rhetorical. They're to get you to think. So he sends them with a message. Why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. We are not to stand staring, doing nothing, simply waiting for Jesus to come back. We are to get about His work so that we're found doing the Master's business when He does return. And He told them multiple parables about that, didn't He? Be found doing the Master's business when He returns. So what are we to do? We're to get on mission. We're to get on mission. And finally, and this is where I'll call you to worship, we're to worship Jesus with our lives and praise Him with our lips while on mission. Romans 12, 1 to 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worship. Live a life of worship. And then praise Him with lips while on the mission. Psalm 147, 1, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant. The song of praise is fitting. So while we get on mission, living lives of worship, laying our agenda down before the mission, trusting Jesus' mission to shape our living, we praise Him. We praise Him. And that's why we come together. It's so that we together on mission, doing the work, can come and offer the fruit of lips that praise His name. Pray with me. Father, um, 
for the glory of the Son and by the power of Holy Spirit, we ask you to do now everything we can't. Holy Spirit, you are our empowerment. And even now, we need you to overcome barriers, unbelief, effects of the evil one in the form of lies that cause us to sit under the curse. We trust you now, Holy Spirit, to move in power among your people, for you are here. Jesus promised you would be here because you dwell in us. So you are here, and we ask that we would taste the effects of your presence. I ask that you would cause us in your power to bow the knee in obedience. Would you speak clearly? Would you articulate clearly in our ears? Give us ears that hear, hands and feet, and vocal cords that will respond in obedience, please. We pray that you would overcome sin and rebellion. We ask you today to make much of your great name. If someone is unbelieving, bring them to the Son. If they are struggling in the faith, lift them up. If they are soaring on wings like eagles, don't let them come down. But bring great, great glory to your name. Mobilize your people. Continue to bear witness to your great name through this little insignificant body globally. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it and give you the honor because it's in Jesus' name we pray.